Hey guys, this is Nadine. At the end of the episode, you'll hear me tell you to visit us on our private Facebook group, She's Not a Slut Yet. Well, that's no longer the name because I changed it and I added an Instagram. The new Facebook group name is Snazzy Podcast, which is spelled S-N-A-S-Y Podcast, and the Instagram page is the exact same thing. That's all the updates for now. I hope you all enjoy the episode and revisit us next week for our first movie. This is John. And this is Dan. This is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. So today we're doing Kill Bill Volume 2 because we did Kill Bill Volume 1 the week before. This is my pick this week. And Dan's going to start us off with some box office stats. All right, so let me tell you about Kill Bill Volume 2. Numbers-wise, domestically it made $66 million, internationally $87 million, so grand total of $154 million. Compared to Kill Bill 1's 180 million, so a little bit less, but still pretty well regarded as far as rewards go. Made the Saturn Award for Best Action Adventure Thriller Film, uh, American Choreography Award for Outstanding Achievement in Choreography, Kafka Award for Best Sound Design, Golden Schmoes, Best Director of the Year is Quentin Tarantino, Hollywood Film Award for Editor of the Year, which is Sally Menke, uh, Ioma for Best Director. Again, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. MTV Movie Awards for Best Fight. Daryl Hannah and Uma Thurman. Great fight scene there. Uh, Taurus Award for the Best Fight. Again, Monica Staggs and Zoe Bell. And Best Overall Stunt Woman, Monica Staggs and Zoe Bell. So I guess those are the stunt doubles for the, uh, the two actresses. I just want to mention something. I'm noticing a trend here, Nadine, that no matter what movie we watch, they've at least gotten one or two awards. Now, they may be the Pity Award. They may be the Pity Award. Like, oh, Best Side Actress Who Played Well in a Movie Award. But there's at least one or two. Yeah, we we haven't seen any Razzie nominations, but we'll uh, we'll probably get there eventually. (laughs) All right, so uh, it stars on IMDb, 84% of Rotten Tomatoes, and then the total cost of the movie is $30 million. But similar scores as, as Volume 1, I think it's also the 80s when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and, like, overall IMDb scores, so... It's basically identical. That's what you got. Very identical. There's some debate of what this, whether this is one big movie or two separate movies, but there's, there's the stats for you. All right, Nadine. Tell me something interesting. Got it. So, there's a lot of interesting facts for this movie. We're going to start with the light ones and go to a more heavy one at the end. Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah actually did not get along with each other at all and reportedly instructed hotel and cinema staff to ensure that they were kept separate from each other at all times. That's except amazing. for their scenes, obviously. Well, they, they definitely <laughs> love beating the shit out of each other. Oh, that was probably their favorite scene in oh, the entire yeah, movie. For sure. <laughs> So Robert Rodriguez scored this movie for $1. Quentin Tarantino said he would repay him by directing a segment of Rodriguez's project Sin City in 2005 for $1 as well, which I also cannot wait until we do that. Yes, I I believe he did. The brothel segment, I thought this was super interesting. The brothel segment where the bride meets with Esteban, the last scene in the movie to be shot. It was also filmed in Mexico at an actual Mexican brothel, and all the female extras were prostitutes that, that worked there. They were real legit prostitutes. Can you imagine? 
you're just you're living your fancy life trying to scrape by and then some dude with a giant camera is like hey you mind if i film you for a little bit anyway okay so after the end credits there's an alternate take of the brides ripping out one of the crazy 88's eyes and i did see that at the very very end for the first time tonight when i was doing the synopsis it's actually pretty funny because she rips out his eye and then looks at the camera and goes okay we have to redo that and then Ricardo Montalban was cast to play Esteban. Unable to make an early read through of the script, his lines were read by Michael Park, Parks, I think his name is, who impressed Tarantino so much that he actually recast Parks instead. A story Esteban tells about Bill in the movie theater sucking his thumb. It's a story Court, Kurt Russell actually told Quentin Tarantino. Kurt did the same thing at a drive-in theater when he was a boy when he saw Marilyn Monroe on screen. A little creepy, but also kind of funny to know. <laughs> Well, Marilyn Monroe. It's fair. <laughs> she was. She's very pretty. The bride no longer has the pussy wagon in this movie. The original script included the character of Yuki Yubari, which is Gogo's sister, the crazy chick, teenage chick, who had the mace in the first movie. In it, Yuki had destroyed the truck soon after killing of Vernita Green. For this movie, writer and director Quentin Tarantino wanted to change the genre Kill Bill Volume 1 was Kung Fu, and in this movie, it was actually considered to be a Western. He wanted both to be kind of different in a scene where beatrix kiddo is being buried alive the master shot has the pickups headlight illuminating the graveyard on the right of the screen the exhumed body's gnarled hand cast the bunny shaped shadow on its coffin and i looked for it and it's true it does, totally does i feel like that's just more interesting that it does it more than it's actually a fact like hey yeah there's a bunny shaped shadow yeah that's cool Anyway, originally the Kill Bill films were planned as a one epic four-hour film. Obviously, they. I'm just gonna say this right that. now, with the release of uh, the new move, the new version of um, Justice League coming out, the new Snyder cut. I sit in fear, sitting down and having to watch a four-hour-long movie. It's one of the reasons why I never could get through the Lord of the Rings in one sitting. Right. I cannot That's imagine hard. trying to sit down and watch this movie all in one sitting. Both of these. It needs to be cut up. It does need to be yeah. two separate. So Bill's Truth Serum, The Undisputed Truth, is the name of a 1970s soul group. Beatrix and Bill both start with the letter B, hence the naming of their daughter, BB. Daryl Hannah also provided her voice as a narrator of a Black Mamba documentary produced in 2013 by Earth Touch USA, much in a similar fashion to Elle Driver reading aloud what she could find online about the same species. When the bride first arrives at the Hacienda, where Elle is staying, she walks past several hotel clerks in the lobby who are out of focus. One of the clerks in the background is actually producer Lawrence Bender. At one point in the film, while talking to the bride, Bill is holding the Hanzo sword while film plays in the background. In the film, the character's about to get into a tussle because it's an old Western. When Bill puts the katana down, the bang sound it makes matches with the visual of a character being punched in the film in the background, which I thought was pretty funny. This is for me specifically and any other tequila drinker out there. Dan, write this down. Bill, just before the final showdown, is seen drinking Saza Trey Generaciones Tequila Anejo, which I love tequila. Gonna I love that shit. It. I'll track it down for you. Track that shit down for me. You'll I want to drink, drink it. it down for her as well. I don't like tequila. Uh, I like tequila. Tequila's pretty horrific. That's tequila and vodka, and that's pretty much all I drink, hard liquor-wise. <laughs> the scene where Uma Thurman trains with Gordon Liu is located at the tomb site of 
Yi's grandfather, the last emperor of China, which I actually thought was interesting because I know who this guy is. Yi, he was actually the emperor, but not really, in a fake state, uh, I think it's called Manchuko, during... One of the many, I, many different uh, wars, yeah. Well, it's the end of the Qing Dynasty, which is the last dynasty of China. Technically speaking, his grandfather, I believe, was the last real emperor of China. He was in the Manchuko state, so I don't think he technically was really considered the one. His grandfather was the nephew of Empress Dowager Sixi. I think I said that right. I have no fucking clue. And she refused to die before his grandfather, so she killed the grandfather off, and then two days later she died, because she knew she was going to die. I thought that was pretty funny, because she had kept him poisoned for years. That was my major. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, hmm, I like this. I don't feel like this relates. <laughs> I, was, I got excited when, as soon as I saw that, I was like, bitch, I'm looking this up, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who this guy uh, is. <laughs> I, I, I love I love uh, Eastern history as well, but I do not have a major in it, so. That was my major in college, so I you guys well, know. Do you, this is random, and I know this is completely unrelated to the podcast, Nadine. Do you read manga? Uh, I had to read manga for Japanese history on World War II. I and mean, that was when manga actually came introduced into Japanese society as an art form. I have a recommendation for you, then, that is based more on the history side of things. But that's that's for another time. Let's get back to the podcast. Anyway, so Bill makes a reference to Batman. Uma Thurman actually played Poison Ivy. I do not like DC, but if I did like a DC villain, it would be Poison Ivy. DC is the best. All right, you can continue. She played Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin in 1997, which starred George Clooney as Bruce Wayne. Um... Just as a heads up, guys, I thought that was just pretty funny. Daryl Hannah improvised a scene where Elle Driver's eye gets removed by Beatrix, and then she goes nuts. She did this because she thought it would make Quentin Tarantino laugh. He did, and then he kept that cup as the final cut in the movie. She got injured over it. That's that's amusing. I was, did. She actually sustained injuries. I was actually, when I was looking at that, I thought she was way over the top, and I just thought it was like, ah! My God! My, ah! And I was just like, "What the fuck am I watching?" She did that to make Quentin Terrence, you know, laughed, and he laughed enough, I guess, hard enough to be like, "You know, I'm gonna keep that. That's the final cut of the movie. We're gonna, we're gonna take that shit. We're gonna put that in there." Can you imagine? <laughs> like you, you're on the way to you're on the way to like get you know the medical part of things and getting th- things treated. And they're like, "How'd you do this?" Oh, you know, I was just like screaming and rolling around on a floor with a bunch of broken glass. <laughs> that is pretty funny. So. Although he's famously skilled and a prolific killer, the character of Bill is not actually shown killing anyone on screen, just injuring, basically, and putting into a coma Beatrix. She's the only person that I think he actually kills in the movies, and both movies. And he did it more so because, you know, she tried to do something that she shouldn't have, quote-unquote, you know. So... Every villain killed on screen, excluding the ones in the anime sequence, is actually killed by a female character. Ones that Beatrix doesn't kill, I think Elle kills. I didn't even realize that when I first watched it. I I was talking with Dan about this, too, where the movie has a lot of ridiculously strong, in both movies, female characters. That is actually something I did notice and I do want to comment on. Um, one thing that I think the 2000s brought very uniquely to the table when it comes to movies and stuff and such like that is showing a lot of strong female characters. And yeah. 
obviously, this entire movie around its name is basically about a person getting back at their ex for doing something unforgivable, right? But they show her being literally amazing. I just think it's really neat how um, they brought that to the table. And you don't even feel it during the movie. That is the that is the vibe I like to see. No, I think that's the thing. Like they don't really like highlight. They don't really. They don't really say yeah. like I'm a woman. You yeah. know, like they never say something like that. It's so subtle that you don't even notice it. And that that is the way to play. Uh, that is the way to play a female character. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I like it too. I actually really thought it was interesting because. They made it so seamless as if she is, is like in any superhero movie, you have the guy. It's the same concept, and you don't even think twice about it, not once. Yeah. It's like, all right, she's a badass. <laughs> and that is why I was, that I will give this movie a 10 out of 10 on. I think that was really cool. Yeah, so the last thing is a little bit heavier, but I figured I, I, I kind of needed to say it. So Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah both were victims of Harvey Weinstein. They both did come out about it. And Quentin Tarantino did help with Thurman with her statement against Harvey Weinstein. There was a car accident that occurred when filming this movie. There was footage of it, and she requested to have the footage. And Harvey Weinstein had denied her that, and Quentin Tarantino gave it to her so that she could use it against him in court. And there is an interview with Daryl Hannah about the incidents that happened with Harvey Weinstein. Quentin Tarantino was interviewed about it as well. He said that he was aware of what was going on and that he should have done more than what he had done. So I think he did help Daryl Hannah too. Kind of sounds like that's what he did, but it doesn't say how he helped her or what he did to help her with it. Yeah. It's one of those director and, you know, powerful actors with other actors, actresses type of deal. It's very common in the film industry. He's a, He's a producer, but he's yes. he has so many people who's come out against him, and I felt like it wasn't because we had two of the main actresses in particular. I didn't film. realize he was in this movie until basically you just mentioned it now, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. So yeah, not surprising. But, yeah, I mean, like he he has his fingerprints on like a lot of movies in like the pretty much the. I like how you say fingerprints on a bunch of movies. Like, you just yeah. got fucking evidence. But, no, like, several decades, like, he was, like, <laughs> the guy Dean, you, you got but, that part. But I, I think it's it's a pretty consensus that he was just a complete scumbag. And But, unfortunately, he did. Just because you're successful doesn't mean you deserve yeah. it. Uh, exactly. So, anyways, past that little dark spot, I'm going to go quickly over the movie synopsis so we kind of know what's going on. If you've watched this movie already, which you probably have, if you love my voice, you'll know exactly what is going on. But for those who did not, like Nadine, I'm going to go ahead and go over the movie. I'm just kidding, Nadine. I was going to say, I watched it three times. (laughs) I know you did. (laughs) So, the movie starts and opens with Bill talking to the bride, or as we find out in this movie, Beatrix Kiddo. In the church, right before he shoots her in the head, the scene then shifts to Beatrix driving a car, talking about the people she killed to get to Bill, and that she's currently on her way to kill him, which is a really cool-looking scene. I've never seen a, a shot from the front of a car where they're just talking. I thought that was cool. I've actually seen it in much older movies that were like cop movies and things like that. I've heard that kind of speech before, and I think that's kind of what it alludes to. It's like those detective films from like the 50s oh, and stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of like a like a homage to those. That's that's kind of cool. So 
After that scene, we start chapter 6, Massacre at Two Pines Begins. The church we see in the previous scene comes into view, and it tells the story of that day at the church. Kiddo is shown during her dress rehearsal when she goes outside for fresh air and finds Bill outside waiting for her. They have a seemingly pleasant conversation while he's playing his giant fucking flute, and before Bill meets the groom and then sits down to watch the wedding rehearsal. The divas are then seen entering the church, and to one of my favorite lines in the movie, what the hell? And then everyone gets shot. You, you remember that, right, Nadine? <laughs> yeah, it's what the hell, and then you hear Beatrix scream, Bill, no, and then everyone dies. <laughs> I just, I love the I love the poor pastor going, what the hell? <laughs> All right, so the, the, the scene then shifts to Bill visiting his brother Bud at his trailer, telling him that Beatrix is coming for them. Bill also insinuates that he and his brother have not been on speaking terms and begs that Bill takes his help, or Beatrix will most definitely kill him. Bud basically refuses his help in saying she deserves her revenge and that they both deserve to die. From there, we start Chapter 7, The Lonely Grave of Paula Schutz. The chapter starts with Bud going to his job at a bouncer at a strip club where he's miserable. He then gets sent home coming late after his work shifts were crossed off on the calendar, which is hilarious. He wasn't fired, he just got all of his shifts taken away in the future and never even said anything. Once Bud gets back to his trailer, you can see him looking at the surrounding desert looking for Beatrix, and then he enters his trailer. From there, the camera spans to under the trailer, where we see Beatrix hiding out. She does eventually come out from under the trailer and alerts the dogs, but Bud does not come out of his trailer, so she attempts to enter, which was a mistake, because then Bud just shoots her in the tits with a shotgun. Bud then injects her with something to make her pass out and immediately calls Elle to sell Beatrix's Hanzo sword. They set up a meeting for the next morning on the condition that Bud makes Beatrix suffer. When Beatrix wakes up, she's tied in a graveyard, and Bud's friend is digging up an old grave. Once his friend is done digging, they taunt her with mace to the eye, and then bury her alive with a flashlight so she can see her inevitable demise. From there we start Chapter 8, The Cruel Tutelage of Pai Mei. This is my favorite chapter of both of these movies. By far, Nadine, this is my favorite. Because it reminds me so much of Karate Kid, and I love that movie. The chapter starts with Bill and Beatrix sitting around a fire, and Bill telling her stories of Pai Mei's cruelty while playing a flute. Bill then warns her not to argue or give any sass to Pai Mei, or we'll either maim or kill her. The next morning, you, the next morning you see Bill coming down stone stairs with a bruise and injuries on his face, and tells Beatrix that Pai Mei will take her as a student, and again warns her against negative behavior towards Pai Mei. Once Beatrix meets Pai Mei, he has her fight him to prove her skills once she claims she's an expert swordsman. Beatrix loses this fight fairly quickly, and he puts her in her place as a student and him as a teacher. From there, we see Pai Mei have her carry out a variety of tasks, including teaching her to punch through wood at very close range a lot. The scene then shifts to her back in the coffin, getting herself out of the bindings around her ankles and wrists, and punching her way out of the coffin. Once Beatrix finishes climbing out of the grave, she walks to a diner and asks for a glass of water. Again, one of the best scenes in the movie. His face was fucking priceless. Priceless. <laughs> Absolutely. I thought it was great, because you see her coming up, and you see this cloud of dirt coming off of her. She looks insane, and his face is like... literally looks like someone just rose from the grave, you know? And he's just like, oh no. 
From there we start <laughs> chapter nine, L and I. Chapter nine starts with L driver driving to Bud's trailer with the red suitcase to purchase Beatrix's sword. The scene then quickly shifts to show Beatrix walking through the desert till she's on the hill facing Bud's trailer and watching Elle show up. The scene then shifts back to Bud and Elle discussing how Bud thinks he killed Beatrix. Bud then asks Elle if she feels regret now that Beatrix is dead or relieved. She faced both, but more so regret. Then Bud goes to open the suitcase and take his money and finds a black mamba hiding under the stacks of cash. The mama bites Bud three times in the face, and Bud collapses on the floor. Elle then gloats to Bud as he's slowly dying by telling facts about the black mamba and why she picked it up in advance. Once done gloating, Elle more truthfully answered Bud's previous question and tells him the biggest regret she feels is that the greatest warrior she has ever met died by his hands. After Bud dies, Elle gathers her cash up, and then Bill calls, and she tells Bill that Beatrix did it and said that she killed and buried her in Paula Schultz's grave. Elden hangs up, grabs Beatrix's sword, and goes to leave the trailer when suddenly Beatrix kicks her back in the trailer. The girl starts a fight that destroys the trailer until Beatrix is kicked into Bud's room and, and finds his Hanzo sword that he claimed to have pawned off. Before the two start a sword fight, Beatrix asks what Elle did to have Paimé pluck out her eye, so Elle replies that she called him a miserable old fool. Elle then reveals that she also killed Paimé. Beatrix and Elle then begin a sword fight where Beatrix takes Elle's other eye. By the way, I was extremely close to gagging. Same here. When that happened. And the, that. <laughs> the way that they portrayed it made it so accurate, uh, I literally got sick to my stomach. Yeah, I, I agree. Not cool. Not cool at all. As Elle is threatening Beatrix and thrashing around in Bud's bathroom, Beatrix takes her sword and leaves her alive behind the trailer. After Elle is binded, we begin the last chapter face-to-face. The chapter starts with Beatrix visiting Esteban Vallejo, one of Bill's father figures growing up, and a pimp. While there, Esteban says he would never try to kill her like Bill did, just cut her up a little bit on the face. He then tells Beatrix where Bill is when she asks because he believes Bill would want her to know. Beatrix then goes to Bill's house and enters with a gun drawn, only to find her daughter, B.B., is still alive. And they had this whole ridiculous play in advance. Beatrix is clearly upset, but plays along with their fake shootout game and spends the rest of the evening spending time with her daughter until she falls asleep. Once she's asleep, Beatrix goes downstairs to find Bill admiring her sword. He asks her how she got Hansa to make her a sword, and she tells him she just dropped his name. Bill then asks her if her plan is to cross swords and gives her two options. After he gives her these options, she lunges for his sword and he shoots near her to stop her from going, and then says he has a few questions before they start the fight. He then shoots her with a truth serum dart, as he doesn't trust that she will tell him the truth. As Beatrix is waiting for the serum to go into her leg, Bill then long-windedly explains that her running off to El Paso was her wearing a disguise, and that even with the disguise, she would have always been a natural-born killer. Bill then asks her if she ever thought her life in El Paso was going to work, and Beatrix tells him no, but she would have had her daughter. Bill then asks her why she left him with his baby, and Beatrix tells him that the last mission he sent her on, she found out she was pregnant. As she found out she was pregnant, an assassin, Karen Kim, from her current target, came to the hotel and started a fight with her, but eventually backed off once she found out that Beatrix was pregnant. Beatrix then, from there, decided to start a new life with a new name to give her daughter a chance at a clean slate away from Bill. 
Beatrix knew that if she stayed and had the baby with Bill, her baby may not have the chance at a normal life if Bill was involved. Beatrix then goes on to say she would never have thought he would have tried to kill her. Beatrix asked him why he did try to kill her. Bill explains that he thought she died but never came back from a mission after a mourning period, tries to track down her killers, but instead finds her alive, engaged, and pregnant. He claims he overreacted and that breaking the heart of a killer has its consequences. Then, Bill asks if his actions really are that surprising, and Beatrix, of course, says, yeah, they were. Beatrix then says they have unfinished business, and Bill agrees, then swings at her with his sword, and they have a very short fight that ends with Beatrix using Pymate's five-point palm-exploding heart technique, a technique Pymate never taught anyone else on Bill. Bill then asks her why she never told him that she was taught that, and she says because she is a bad person. Bill responds, no, she's a terrific person, his favorite person. Bill then takes five steps and collapses. The scene then shifts to Beatrix taking BB away from Bill's home to a hotel. The next morning, BB is shown watching cartoons while Beatrix cries and hysterically laughs in the bathroom. Once she's done, she joins her daughter in watching cartoons, and the movie ends with a black screen saying the lioness has rejoined her cub and all is right in the jungle. Alright, let's talk about the movie. So, Dan... Yep. What did you really think of this? What I really think, I... So, like, I like this less than the first one, but I don't think it's terrible. Like, I still enjoyed it. I like kind of seeing the completion of the story. Uh, The one scene, the master, I thought was awesome. It kind of, like, took you back into the last movie. Uh, There's a couple of cool scenes. I want to mention on that a little bit, because... I'm not going to lie, I loved every single tiny bit of that scene. Oh, dude, like when he's like stroking his beard, it kind of gives you that... Dude, the fucking whiff, the spiteful whiff of his beard, and how the more (laughs) she starts to actually behave like someone who knows what he's, you know, they're doing, he whiffs it a little bit less. Like, he's like, huh, I taught this person. He's like, huh, you're weak, you know? When I first saw the lead-up to it, I thought, I was like, is it? A little bit too cultural appropriation, but I realize like it's really just paying homage to like classic samurai movies, kung fu movies. So like, uh, it, when did karate, when did the first Karate Kid come out, Nadine? Uh, it was in the 1980s. I think it was like 1988 yeah. or something like that. Know, serious, I think this actually was a homage to that. Yeah, because everything was similar. And I didn't watch the first Karate Kid. I watched the second one, of course, because I am a millennial. I don't have any uh. I don't care about history, right, Nadine? Okay, so, Dan and I are millennials, too, when we both watch the first and the second. It's a joke, relax. <laughs> <laughs> Get your shit together. God damn it, John. Anyway, so... Thank you. I feel like that was a homage to the Karate Kid, and that is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie so much. The second one. I didn't, I, I've watched a bit of the first one, but there was something just so... What's the word? Traditional Japanese, like, about someone walking up a fucking mountain. Well, he's Chinese. Training he on makes the top fun of the mountain. Japanese all time. I know. He hates Japanese, yeah. I know, and that's, that's, that's part of the humor to it, but that's such traditional Eastern type of stuff right there. Yeah. yeah Actually, so like, I think it's more of a homage to the original Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Have you ever seen Kung Fu Hustle, John? Uh, if I have, probably. If I have not, maybe not. You're going to watch it. Don't worry about it. You're going to end up having to watch it anyway at some point. It's, it's like, fucking ridiculous. That movie is extra. And some of the characters, like, the, the way they have the style of the outfits, the way they have some of the fighting styles in that movie, maybe not to this extreme that they have it in that movie, is kind of shown in this scene. 
if you ever, whenever we have to watch Kung Fu Hustle, I say watch the Pai Mei scene after you watch it, and you'll be like, oh, I see what you're talking about. It's not the extreme that Kung Fu Hustle is, because that is the yeah. nth degree, but it does have a bits of that in it, for sure. Well, yeah. when we watch it, I will bring it up, or probably not, because I don't think I'll remember it too well, but... <laughs> I have to say, Nadine, overall, I really, truly, dro- I just absolutely love this scene. There was just something about every little tiny nuance about the scene. Her, you know, her attacking with everything and him just laughing at her or, you know, him getting grabbed by the throat and then he just fucking flips her on her ass, takes the sword from her and just yeets it away like 30 feet away. And it actually gets perfectly into the sword yeah. rack. Like everything about this was good. I liked this scene. I did. Um, but I think I liked the scene where her and L driver fight more and only because really seem to hate each other in that scene. I'm kind of curious if it's because they actually don't like each other in real life. No, their, their facial expressions towards each other. That scene, like they, it doesn't, they were kind like of horrific. Act- yeah. It doesn't, it almost seems like it's not acting the entire time. Like, yeah. Also, that scene was really cool, Nadine, but what really killed it for me was the fucking eye-plucking thing. That made me literally sick. Like I said before, I saw that, and I just had to pause the movie real quick. Yeah, I, I, I wished <laughs> it between her toes, and I was like, I had to like, <laughs> I had to look away, and like, I attempted to go to the bathroom for a second, but it, 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 that was like one of the squeamish things that I have. But No, I, um, I have a squeamish thing, and that's one of the reasons why I don't like horror movies, because they always use blood, and I don't like that. See, like, that's the thing, like, I don't mind, like, blood or guts, but, like, so when it has, like, tendons and, and like... And it, it squishes? Yeah, yeah, like, squishes. <laughs> that's, that's... You don't like the bloody squishies. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't... I love horror movies, but I don't like guts. That's the thing. I don't like organs. I don't like to see them. I don't like to see, like, anything going through someone's stomach. You could cut someone's toe off or pluck their eye out, I'm fine. As soon as, like, guts are involved, I'm like, this is I'm going to quote you on that. You can pluck someone's... You can take someone's toe off or pluck their eye out, and I'm fine. But God forbid if there's guts involved. Yeah, no, seriously. Dan's seen it before. Like, I, I, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. Guts will come on the screen, and I'm like, nope, fuck this, I'm out. That, I. <laughs> honestly, I, that, that thing... And there's... There's something else about this movie I want to mention on a tangent a little bit about this, right? So, the first Kill Bill movie was a revenge story. This one was more explaining the revenge story and the conclusion. Which, mind you, is really good in a single movie, but when you split them into two like this, you get this kind of weird, fractured part of the second movie. Because, again, we're kind of rating both movies as they are and not separate. And when I was watching this movie, I had a lot to, uh, you know, divulge from the first movie. But one thing I truly did not get about this entire movie, why on God's names of Earth is everyone American? <laughs> like, I, I get the Japanese and Chinese homage to things and all of that type of stuff. But Bud was just a hillbilly in the fucking middle of nowhere. But like you you get where I'm coming from, right? I was so confused. I'm like, why is this? Why is this boy wearing a cowboy hat and talking about samurai swords? I mean, because there's Western elements 
or thrown in there too. I... You can't you can't explain Western elements to someone that's just Southern. It's just a bit of a so, redneck. I think it was mostly because Bill was supposed to be the leader of the the assassin squad. Bud was Bill's younger brother. So he ended up being part of the group, like, de facto. And because Bill was so influenced by Asian culture, like, Bud was talking about Hanzo swords and things like that. Because at the end of the movie, when you have BB and Beatrix, like, watching a movie, she's watching Shogun Assassin. It's a Japanese film. So, like, clearly Bill is the reason why that Bud has that influence. It's his big brother showing him things that he's like. Bud is being the younger brother is going to follow his older brother. And because Bill is the leader of the group, the rest of them are going to follow what Bill is telling them to do. So he shows them the people that he sought after in Asia, kind of what I gather from it. So here's one thing I wanted to mention. In the first movie and in this movie, every character has a backstory. They tell you about their childhood. They tell you about the life that they're having now or some sort of background to their past. Beatrix is the only one that doesn't have any solid background. She has stuff that alludes to her background. At her wedding scene, she's like, oh, my side's empty. And Bill says, well, your side was always been a little empty. They never go any further than that. So you well, just kind of assume, well, she hasn't had a family in a long time. That's it. That's well, all if you, you keep in that. mind. If you keep in mind, Nadine, Quentin Tarantino said there was gonna, he was trying to work on a third film for it. I think yeah. that's what that was alluding to her backstory and being picked up for it. Because if you think about it, when it comes to main character backstories, it's not really important. This entire thing was just a revenge story. And the revenge story is showing you all of the other characters and how they became who they are as she just slices them down. That's the point of it. That is such an, that is such an anime thing. I kid you not. Japanese. That's such, an, East, that's such yeah. an Eastern thing of, you know, it's really not main a, character overcoming odds type of thing. So that's in everything. That's in a lot of movies, but I don't think specifically it's an Eastern thing where they explain the villain's background more because they don't in a lot of kung fu movies. Like I've watched Japanese movies, I've watched kung fu movies. I haven't really, I haven't watched any really anime. I've watched like maybe two or three for like classes because I minored in Asian art so that's modern Asian art so I had to watch at least a few of them and I don't really watch that much anime but in most Asian films including with like Korean dramas and things like that you don't really have too crazy much of the background of the enemy. Korean dramas you do more just because it's a TV show but like in the movies themselves it's more centered around the hero. Like in Ifmon, it's it's another one where it's like you don't have much of a background of anyone else, but you do have a background for him. You have a solid character growth in him. So I don't really wouldn't say it's like a definitely an East Asian thing. I would say it's kind of more specific for a genre. It, yeah, it's a cliche genre type of thing. One thing I will mention, is it just me? Or does Bill's face does not match at all him being an assassin leader? No, and I think that's the point. He also has like a, a slight like lisp that if you like. <laughs> Way to go, Dan. Yeah. Insult the poor actor. No, I'm not saying <laughs> it, it kind of like kept on like I kept on hearing it because he it do, it's not there all the time, but it, I don't know if that's just the actor. He's trying best. his best, okay? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> 
Never mind. I <laughs> no, I'm I not know saying it's mean. a bad thing. I know but it's like mean. he has like a slight like speech impediment. Which I mean, you kill so many I people, you're not exactly straight in the head. I guess so. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think the point of him is is not to be look like a, a serious killer because honestly, does half of them look like killers? Yes. See, I wouldn't say that. I'm, maybe, but he what looks about like the schoolgirl with an angry killer. with an angry face in the first movie? The moment I saw her, I'm like, oh, she's a killer, man. Okay, but she doesn't count. I'm talking about like. Oh, she doesn't count. You said half. She's part of the undisclosed minority. <laughs> I'm just saying, like. Oh, how about the I person would... beheads one of the other people in the previous movie? Yeah, but looks like you're like uncle that gets drunk every Christmas party, like. Oh, it looks like the uncle that you try and stay away from at Thanksgiving. What are you talking about? Daryl Hannah definitely looks like a killer. Go-Go, the chick that the last teenager in the last Oh, maybe movie. it was a fucking eye patch that did it. The eye patch surely did it. But I would say, like, Uma Thurman doesn't really look like a killer in most of these movies. I would say Bill doesn't look like a killer. Lucy Liu, the only reason why she looked like a killer is because she was, like, she had the gang members around her. But if you just looked at her separate, she don't. And I think that was the point. Anyone could really be like a killer, you know. I don't think they were making a point. They just chose some actors, and they were like, "Do your best, huh?" I don't think so. <laughs> I'm now, sure he, he casted it for very specific reasons, but anyway. Yeah, I think he casted it for like he he picked them for specific reasons because he picked Lucy Liu from a movie where she was the romantic interest, and she was like a princess or something. So, to go off on a different tangent, to cut your conversation in half and impose my own, there is a scene of mine that is one of my darkest fears, and that's being buried alive. Did anyone else... No, it is actually one of my darkest fears, right? I did not know that about you. I hate that. I'm a very tall individual, and being stuffed in a small coffin under the ground gives me nightmares. So... When thinking about her being buried alive, that entire scene was just dark. I didn't kill her. Let me just bury her. Super far underground, mind you, because there was an entire scene of her climbing up through roots and shit. She must have been like 30 fucking feet underground, and she managed to climb her way up. That just, that entire scene freaked me out. I like like that scene, actually. I think it's like... I've seen a lot of movies where that scene is there where buried alive. Yeah. All right. I, I, I watch happy-go-lucky movies and superhero movies where everyone does do good things and fights bad guys. There's literally a movie called Buried Alive, which is the exact same scenario, just the entire movie is someone getting out of the grave. There's also a movie of someone who had their arm trapped in the ravine of, like, some freaking... Uh... Yeah, he has to cut it off. Yeah. yeah, he has to cut it off. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. No, that, that was a true story. What was it, like 100, 116 hours or something like that? Something like that. Also, th- people used to get buried alive all the time, John. That's why they used to have bells and graveyards. Yeah, but people also got stuffed into an iron bowl, and they lit the fucking bowl on fire, and they got melted alive inside. The point is, is that it's horrifying. It's centuries earlier than what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking. Yeah. Time is relative, Nadine. The problem is, is that's a fucking fear of mine. I'd rather be burned alive than be buried alive. I'd rather be buried alive than burned alive. I'd rather be burned that's... alive because at least it's somewhat quicker. No, it's excruciating the way that yeah. the pain goes through you. When you get buried alive, 
you slowly suffocate to death, but you're not going to really feel it. You pass out from lack of oxygen before you actually die and you hallucinate. Or you can three inch punch your way out of a freaking two inch wooden coffin. Yeah, you're going to hyperventilate, you get a little high, and pass exactly. out. You, and you, and you honestly, the fear is going to get diminished because you're getting high, basically, off of your own air that's coming out of your mouth. But when you get burned alive, pain is excruciating when you get burned alive. When people get burned alive, like, I'm into true crime. <laughs> and the way they explain it is it's probably some of the worst pain you can ever have because every nerve ending you have gets touched by those flames. Can you imagine every nerve ending in your body burning? kind of what it feels like when you get burned alive yeah you're breathing in hot air you're breathing in smoke and at that point you die from smoke inhalation but most people when if the flames are literally on your body and not i don't want this right now (laughs) i'm having a peaceful drink right now enjoying the conversation you got to talk about people being burned alive and how excruciating it is just wait till it gets to like an actual horror movie i know dude no 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 detail gruesome I hope you know if you you know you're really gonna doubt my choices in life when you start bringing up the horror movies in this cult genre. There's some that we're gonna have to do it at some point, and some of them are that. Oh my god, I cannot wait until we get to the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. I think is one. Oh, you're that gonna I'm say excited. Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm like, yeah, that's a new form of horror movie right there. Oh yeah, no, that's <laughs> old school horror. It's like I think it's like the 1940s or 50s was it made. It's like the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. Cannot wait. For us to watch that movie, it's so bad, it's good. Also, heads up, I think the main actress in that movie, when she died in her house, she ended up getting mummified by her heater. Can I mention something? Yeah. (laughs) Whenever I hear it's so bad, it's good, I just bring back the trauma of Dan displaying his movie choice. Surf Nazis must die. Is that is that gonna not come up for one episode? <laughs> no, it's no. gonna come up every episode, Dan. Okay. Your bad choices I... make me pain. Well, I get the next two, so. Well, yeah. you may get the next two, but God forbid if they're bad, Dan. It's you're never gonna live this one down. Uh, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know what we'll think about these two, but we'll get there. That's what you said last time. You picked up by it. One, I think, actually, John, you mentioned before that you like, but we'll, we'll get to that at the end. You'll figure it out what it is when I go to announce it at the end. So do you guys have anything else that you guys want to talk about the movie before we move on to any other segments? Uh, no, not really. I mean, yeah, no. I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of... Yeah, I, think I don't we, know. There's nothing. There's nothing really much left on this movie. I mean, we've we've dissected the first movie a lot, and this this movie is just a continuation of the first one. Yeah, I think we hit and, all the, uh, the high points. It's a good continuation, but whether or not it's great, that's up to us to decide next round. Okay, so one thing I do want to mention before that: their kid is going to be so fucked up. She grows up, putting it out there now. <laughs> Because she's going to get older, and she's going to be like, Daddy tried to kill Mommy, put her in a coma. Mommy got pissed off, came back, killed Daddy. That's how she's going to grow up. Or, you know, you just... Hey, Mommy, what happened to Daddy? Oh, he died when you were younger. Why don't I remember him? It's a good... Let me tell you, it is a good reason. What happens to to her kid and the the kid of the the mom she killed in the first movie? They were going to do an anime... uh, I think Quentin Tarantino wanted to do, like, an anime version of her revenge coming after the bride. After, and, like, after they did Kill Bill Volume 3, but I don't know if Kill Bill Volume 3 is ever going to come out. 
And then Kill Bill no. Volume 4 would be her daughter going after her, so... Oh, what, Kill Bill <laughs> Volume 5 was just him? <laughs> yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's the, dirt for the dirt for the grave just in the vicious Kill Bill cycle volume of revenge. <laughs> I mean, let, let's... Before we go into the next one, you, you raise a really good point. This type of movie has so many different possible movie extras to it, if that makes sense. It's like the first movie was so, Yeah, it was so incomplete in the first movie. It's still somewhat incomplete in the second. Like, they can keep adding shit and adding shit, and people would just eat it up. Yeah, for sure. See, you could, but you don't need to. It still stands on as an, uh, like on its own. So you say that until 2022, and then Quentin Tarantino's like, aha, uh-huh, Kill Bill Volume 3. And four. <laughs> and four is coming out in 2024. That's all one movie. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, let's, let's, let's move on. All right. So, Dan, is it or isn't it a cult classic? So I am convinced that this movie is one movie in its entirety. And since I said that Kill Bill Volume 1 is a cult classic, that this is also has to be a cult classic because it's one complete picture. Mm-hmm. I, they're so different. I I would say that they're two different movies, but because even with them being two different movies, because of the first movie, I don't hear as much about the second movie because I think most people don't like the second one as much as the first one. But I feel like if you're watching the first one, you're probably also watching the second one. So yeah, no, I, I agree that they are different tones completely. But yeah, yeah. Going off of that, Dan. Um, I truly do think that this doesn't belong in the same realm as uh, the first movie. The first movie is a classic. Yeah, I, I really do, like, even though I gave it a bad rating last time, it's it's a classic movie. Like, you think Kill Bill, everyone knows what Kill Bill is. But the moment you say Kill Bill Volume 2, they're like, what? There's a second one? Because even if there is a cult following, it's for the first movie. It's for it as a whole because of the first movie. I don't think the second movie by itself deserves gotcha. that tag. Overall, yes, but the second movie is just a continuation of a cult classic. It doesn't count. So do yeah, you- that's that's kind of how I view it, too. I think it's a continuation of a cult classic. Problem is, is I don't know if I should put this as a cult classic or not, just because people remember the first one. And I guess they would remember the second one, too. If they know of the first one, they'd eventually find it. How yeah, many people like, are like religiously like watching, watching the second one as they do the first one? Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's like watching Lion King, right? And then finding out there's a second one and watching it and still getting like good feelings from the second movie, but that's only because of the first movie. Like This movie was standalone by itself, oh, not as good as the first one. No, but that doesn't mean whether or not it's a cult classic, because there are shitty yeah. cult classics out but there. I mean, like, memory-wise, like, you're not going to remember the second one nearly as much as the first one. The first one, no. I am going to argue, is much better than the second one. I actually don't know where to where to put this one. So I would have to say you guys are going to have to <laughs> you're gonna have to tell me, like, so what I, you think. I, I say it, it has to be, because Kill Bill Volume 1 is, I consider it a cult classic. Against my initial thoughts... Because that's this is the continuation of that story, and it's kind of one complete picture, even though they're completely different tones. It's one picture that he's painting, so it's a cult classic. I'm going to say the complete opposite of Dan, for one reason, in the exact inverse of what he said. These are two different movies. 
He didn't fit it all in one. He could have fit it all in one, but the way he did the first movie made it a cult classic. This movie, as I said before, is just a continuation of the first movie. Like, almost like a backstory. It may have been all the extra stuff he had wrote in advance that he wanted to include in the first movie, but if you think about it, it's like taking a couple of pages out of a novel, like a couple hundred pages, slapping them together and saying, here's the second movie. It's not the same. It doesn't deserve that cult classic thing because I've never heard of anyone actually having a cult classic designation for the second movie of Kill Bill. It's always Kill Bill in general. And then when people are talking about it, it's the first movie. So I'm going to go with a no on that, Nadine. I hope you do, too. Honestly, I lean more towards no. Thank you. I win, Dan. You suck. Is is this a competition? I thought this was just... It's a competition for me. This is the first... This is what, what, like, episode eight for us? No, episode seven. And this is the first one I voted as a no. But I'm going to say it's a no, because it, it even though Quentin Tarantino says this is all one movie, it really doesn't feel like one movie. And I feel like he's only saying that so he could make more movies because he said he's only having a certain amount coming out. Yeah. Um, and it really like when Pete John's right, when people talk about Kill Bill, they're not talking about the second movie. They're talking about the fucking first one. And that one feels like a cult classic. That one has all the, you know. It has all the cult genre stuff of, like, in it. A cult, yeah, it has all the key points of like a cult class. What a cult classic would be, and this one just feels like a darker revenge film. You know, it doesn't really feel this like it has like all the, that. Yeah, it, it's it. it's just a continuation, and you can't give it that same cult designation because the first movie is a cult film. That doesn't mean that the second movie is a cult film. We're rating it based on the film itself, and you're talking only about Kill Bill. And everyone, when they talk about Kill Bill, is the excellence of the first movie. And oh, there's a second movie. I, I mean, I I understand your point, and like if if you do, if I do have to separate them as two separate movies, I'd probably say no. And like, that's what that's what we're doing. We're rating the movie as it is. Like, and that's the point. Like, uh, yeah, we watch this movie separate and independent of the first, but a lot of stuff we remember from the first movie leads to the second. But this movie in particular is not a cult classic film. Only the first one is. Yeah, well, I, I'd, I'd have to agree with John on that one. Okay, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm interpreting it the wrong way, but I, I just feel that, like, this was intended to be one movie. This is a very gray area, because Quentin Tarantino and, says this is one movie, but obviously it's fucking two. Yeah. yeah. But even before he released it, he, he intended it to be one movie. Even so, though, it's two entirely different films. It's two entirely different film styles it's entirely different genres in a way because one's very different style like a kung fu movie and the other one's kind of like a a western and one's dark one's light you know they're very very different i think he does that to balance it out but i yeah i'm gonna have to disagree with you man i i totally get where you're coming from he intended it for be to be one movie, but because it's separated, this one, this movie in particular, is not the cult classic. The first one is. It's just piggybacking off of the cult classicness of the first one. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand where I am, and I'm, I'm still saying like, if Kill Bill I mean, is a cult classic, this is a cult classic. When it comes to movies like this, Dan, to be honest with you, because it's such a gray area with the second one, whereas the first one was more of like a definite that it was a cult yeah. classic. You're like, yeah. I wouldn't judge you on it just because yeah. it is seriously a gray 
It's kind of like, Dan, to put it into something you understand, Mm -hmm. it's not the same as the Star Wars movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the same. (laughs) It's not the same as (laughs) it's not the same as the first three Star Wars movies, not the prequels. No, those three were very tied together in so many different ways. They deserve their own different thing. Right. Each movie gave in something new. It was something amazing to watch. This movie Although it's the same, I like to think of it more as here is the backstory leading to the first movie, or here is the continuation and completion of the first movie. It's not its own separate movie. I don't know, but it. So what it it, it is to me, it is like one conjoined story. And that's I know the, there I think are that's the problem of us watching it back to back too. Like if we skip yeah. two weeks and then watch this movie, be like, this fucking sucks, man. But we just watched Kill Bill 1, and we're still riding off of the weird, bloody the pride is, like, that is the first movie. There, there are distinct memories I had from, like, the whole Kill Bill sequence. And, like, there's more of them in Kill Bill Volume 1. But there's still, like, the scene in the coffin, the, the scene with, like, the, uh, the master. And, and, like, those scenes still stick with me and are part of Kill Bill. So I don't completely agree that when, like, you say Kill Bill, everybody only assumes you mean... Volume one. Yeah, and I, I get that. But just coming from a textbook point, because Nadine shut me down last time, I'm pulling out the books this time. By rules, we watch the singular movie. This one does not deserve the standing the first one does, okay. just based on what it is. It's okay. This, this... It's, fine, it's fine to disagree, but you're wrong. It's okay. I, this, <laughs> is the fir- this is the first time I'm wrong, so it's all good. <laughs> I like how Dan just accepts defeat when I argue with him enough. He's like, whatever, fine, just move on. He's like, this is the first time I'm wrong. And I can only think about... Uh, the first time you were wrong is when you pulled Surf Nazis Must Die. This is the I, second. I said, I said thing. first time I want... This isn't the first time I'm wrong. So oh, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you yeah. said, this is the first time I'm wrong. I'm like, bullshit. Surf Nazis Must All Die. Right. <laughs> oh, you were going to say that, Nadine? That's hilarious. It was. Because <laughs> yeah. I also said uh, Weird Science was an occult classic, so I was wrong against you guys there, too. So. Uh, yeah, so. the, you, can't break, you can't compare the two, though. W- when people say Weird Science, you're like, oh, yeah, that movie, Kill Bill Volume 2. There's a second one? <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay, let's go on to the ratings, Nadine. Alrighty, so... Dan, what would you rate this movie? I actually did enjoy watching this movie. I kind of liked kind of finding more about the backstory and kind of seeing more, giving you more context to Kill Bill Volume 1. It wasn't as good as Volume 1, so I give it one point less. So I think I was at 8 for Volume 1. Volume 2 is a 7. Okay. Nadine? Um, I actually liked this one a little bit more than uh, Volume 1. I love Volume 1 as a cult classic, but I like movies that are a little bit darker, to be honest with you. So I would say this is like half a point heavier than the last one, so it's an 8.5 for me. All right, so I'm going to go off Dan's narrative on here. Um, The first movie, although it seemed incomplete, it still was kind of complete by itself, and that's why I gave it a 5. It was just a movie, you know? It's known for what it is. It came out a good time. It's a unique movie, so I gave it a five. This movie, it's unique. It still pulls that same wow factor, but it's just not as amazing. And not it doesn't have... Honestly, the anime scene fucking carried me on the first movie and the amazing fight scene. 
But this movie, although the training scene and the trailer fight scene, it just didn't have the same, I don't know, the the same power and narrative that the first one did. So I'm going to give it a four, just to go one below her. No, you guys are freaked out about the trailer fight scene just because of the eyeball, but I think the choreography for the trailer fight scene was fantastic. Between Elle and, and Beatrix, I think it was great. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I prefer her against 100 fucking people just seeing their dead bodies, or, you know, almost dead bodies squirm below her. You know, it's just really cool, but this yeah, one was got, just kind of like, it just felt like, at some point. it felt like excess. What'd you say, Dan? No, I feel like the, the whole anime plus, like, the fight sequence with like all the 88 guards or whatever that they got out of hand for me oh see i like l drivers i uh, yeah i per- i preferred the this the trailer fight scene okay um so dan would you recommend this movie uh yeah i mean if if you watch kill bill one definitely move on to kill bill volume two because you kind of get more text you get the, the conclusion of the story i i'd recommend it uh, I'm going to give it a solid fucking no. Damn, John. Um, the first movie I would recommend, if you want to get into cult classics, go for it, right? If you see this movie, and you're like, wow, there's a second volume. You do you, boo. But I'm not going to recommend volume fucking two. I'm going to recommend the first one. I would recommend volume two. Um, I feel like it's not a bad movie, but I feel most people do like volume one better, but it does complete the story. So if you're itching to have that story completed, which I would imagine most people, not including John, uh, would want that story Excuse completed. Excuse me. Don't, don't use me as your explanation. Honestly, like, how can you watch like the first, first one and leave it there? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was totally fine. First movie, I was like, wow, this is a nice experience. I moved on with my life until I found out the second movie was the volume two. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> it it literally like doesn't even have an ending scene. It just fades to black. Like, and that's so cool. I love when I got that text from you at, when we first picked Volume One, and you were like, "Are we watching both of those movies?" Because apparently there's a Volume Two, and I was like, "How the fuck did John not know there was a Volume Two? It came a that's year my after point. Yeah, <laughs> that's my point, man. Like, I have so many good memories from Volume One and, and bad memories. By the by the way, because you know church shit. But like I watched Volume One, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what Kill Bill is. Haha, ha, I'm I'm cultured. And then I found out there's a Volume Two, and then just mentally, I'm like, ah, God, I'm gonna have to watch this, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> you know, this brings me back, Nadine, when you're like, hey, you want to do a, a podcast with me? And I said yes before I actually found out what it was. <laughs> and you know, I'm just a nice person, and now I'm watching all these movies that I've I've rated two above five. Two. You'll you'll you like there's like there's really doesn't like movies. There's movies that are you. coming up in the future you're gonna like a lot. And also next month, John, I believe you're picking two movies of that month. So you're gonna be <laughs> Hellboy one and two, baby. Don't I don't think that's how it goes. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> no, no, I know. I'm joking. Um, but I, th- one I think thing you'll I like won't... the ones coming up. The next month, you'll you'll like it more. I think you're gonna like the next one that that Dan picks. I'm pretty sure it's a movie that you said before that you enjoyed. So you know what type of genre I like? The popular kind, the one that everyone fucking watches for some reason. Oh, oh, I watch Marvel movies not because I actually enjoy Marvel. You watch blockbuster movies? Yes, 
Yes, blockbuster movies. <laughs> it's the opposite of cult classic. Yeah, I know. So I'm just like way out of my comfort zone right now. I'm like, oh, wow, this movie's kind of shit. And then I realize it's a cult classic. There, people have a cult following to these because they're so unique. But it's just bad. <laughs> Eventually, you'll probably you'll have an ap- appreciation for cult movies. Seriously, yeah. you will. Like, it, there's, they're so weird and unique. You're eventually going to be like, you know what? not the best movie because it's so weird and out there i can dig it (laughs) you know what nadine when i was growing up around the times when this was really popular i was falling in love with the first spider-man movie and uh the transformers movies and stuff like that i watched kill bill under a suffering pretense of church when i was younger that that is rough i could i couldn't imagine Like, this movie in particular holds a lot of weird memories for me because I never watched Volume 2 because of the trauma of Volume 1. Even though Volume 1 is a good movie and it's not a bad movie, Volume 2 I never heard of because I never wanted to continue the saga. And thanks to Nadine, look where we're at. All right, well, you you picked Kill Bill Volume 1. I I didn't know there was a Volume volume 2. I said Kill Bill. I was going to do, I was going to do Donnie Darko. I, I was going to do Johnny Darko this month. Now you have to wait till next month for Johnny Darko. I'm sorry, John. Maybe you should just be better at choosing movies. I mean, like... Fucking like Johnny Darko, dude. Trust me. It's a good-ass movie. I've not met that many people who do not like Johnny Darko. It is very good. You have underestimated my dislike for cult classics so far. Oh, dude. It is a good-ass movie. It's still okay. trippy. It's dark, but it's good. I want to share something about the dynamic between us. Let's be honest here. You could not have picked a better person to combine with you two. Nadine, you love cult classics. Dan, you just like movies. If it's good, you'll know it's good. If it's bad, you'll agree it's bad. But you're not going to say, oh, it's a cult classic. Therefore, it deserves good rating. And then there's poor old me. God, why? (laughs) (laughs) But you could not have chosen a better person to contest with you guys agree with. Yeah, like, you, I think it's a good, like, trifecta. We're going to end out this podcast. I'm going to say that if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk to us about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group. She's not a slut yet. Slut is S with three stars. Uh, or you can email us, which might be easier, <laughs> honestly. Uh, she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys email us, uh, she's not a slut yet. You have any recommendations, or if you have any like nostalgia behind a movie, give us the story. I actually would like to read some of your reasons why you love the movies that you love, the movies that you pick that are cult classics. We'll probably eventually do an episode where it's like you know letters and emails from you guys. So if you have anything that's like nostalgic or a story as to how you got introduced into cult classics or what movie got you started, please seriously email us. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps get us out there and have more people find us. So next week, we will be reviewing Big Fish, which was released in 2003. So make sure to tune in again. Bye, guys. Yeah. See you.